0: Hello, home listeners. It's me, Dr. J, your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc.
1: Hey, guys. Dr. Santos here, pediatric infectious disease doc and sometime researcher.
0: And we are offering an exciting promotion
1: for all of you listening at home right now. Like we're actually doing the social meds thing, kind of, sort of. We're old. This is exciting for us.
0: If you like it when the two of us travel into your eardrums, then you'll love it even more when we infiltrate your eyeballs in a non-infective way.
1: (laughs) We tried so hard to make this less creepy. (laughs) This is the best we came up with.
0: For the first 500 of you hearing this message, maybe your lucky number 363, you can go to travelmedicinepodcast.com and uh, we made a thing.
1: Doctor Josh made the thing. I edited the thing, and then together we put Produced the thing
0: together. The thing. Yeah. And,
1: yeah, and what That's is the, the thing? word producing? Yes. <laughs> and what
0: is the thing? It's around the world in eighty plagues, a ebook form of one of our most popular running series. If you've ever wondered what sausages and facelifts have in common, this may also be for you. <laughs>
1: If you're wondering right now, you might have to just go ahead and pause this and go click over to travelmedicinepodcast.com. And all we ask for really is your email. We will never spam you. We will never send you anything from an advertiser or anything on there. We just want to be able to communicate with y'all directly. And as our first mailing, we want to send you guys a copy of our free ebook
0: once you've signed up for our mailing list you'll get exclusive access to we haven't decided yet but it will be
1: awesome <laughs> all we know is that it's going to be awesome absolutely
0: so at travel once we have your email you can tell us i will reach out to you a real person not a chat bot and ask you what do you like about our show? What else can we add on to make it even cooler? How many more plagues can we give you? So before all 500 digital copies are destroyed forever. (laughs)
1: yeah, You do want one of these, by the way. It's not quite an NFT, but you know, oh yeah, it was one of the first downloaders. So go to
0: travelmedicinepodcast.com, get your copy of Around the World in 80 Plagues.
1: We don't want to give too much about it away, but those of you who've been following us for a while will recognize all of the weird, gross, disgusting code words that we, you know, weaved in.
0: If we're looking forward to hearing from you, we're looking forward to chatting with you. We're looking forward to being in your ears, eyes, and thoughts.
1: Thank you all from the bottom of our hearts for listening. And, you know, thank you guys who take that extra step to go over to our website and sign up. We promise we will make it your, worth your while and bring you all of the medicine-y, travel-y goodness that you have grown to love. And Bye, let's everybody. get
0: on with the show.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile
2: can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact
0: Welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey
1: guys, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and a researcher.
0: And it's July. And you know what happens in July, Santosh?
1: Absolutely. Salmonella. Lots and lots of salmonella. Okay, fair point.
0: (laughs) But you know what else happens in July?
1: (laughs) Josh. I believe this is one of uh, the kind of, uh, I I don't want to blaspheme and say like holiest times of the year, but you do take several days of rest and you make a pilgrimage and you pay homage.
0: San Diego Comic-Con.
1: Woo! The sights, the sounds, the smells. The smells. (laughs) you
0: know no one ever brings up smells unless it's like a sense of urgency uh, like you hear uh, you hear it's dark in here very normal sure Uh, sure it's awfully quiet good description doesn't smell like anything in here bizarre sentence
1: (laughs) 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 that's true never go there's nobody who is ever like wait wait do you smell that no. <laughs> do you guys exactly. smell
0: <laughs> <laughs> What this time of year means is it's our annual Comic Book Medicine.
1: Woohoo! We you know, we were talking about all of our wonderful listeners who've come and see us, uh, you know, at the uh, Chicago Comic Con and we got to do a live version of Comic Book Medicine over there which was absolutely fantastic. So, this is kind of cool because this season we've gotten to do two comic book medicines.
0: And we might be doing a third as we are taking this show on the road. Yeah. If you would like to find out where we might be going, you could always sign up for our mailing list at travelmedicinepodcast.com. And we'll even throw in a free ebook.
1: Yeah. Was that a promo after the promo? You better damn well believe it.
0: It was a pro promo. Pro
1: <laughs> It was a post-promo.
0: A pro-post-promo. <laughs> but let's get in to this year's secret applications. Because <gasps> I have been watching a show that relies on telling you things that you have been straight out lied to. You've been infiltrated by deception, causing you to distrust your eyes, your senses, your perception of reality. And... Well, I guess that could describe, is it cake, but yeah.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, this is comic book medicine. And you're talking about, is it cake? I, that's everything that you just dis- just said was about, is it cake? If y'all <laughs> haven't seen, is it cake? Uh, I will, I will give you a reprieve to please pause for just a second and go watch an episode of, is it cake? And you but come while- back here questioning your whole reality.
0: While I would totally watch an existential horror show about cake, this is comic book <laughs> medicine. So you know what else is really good at infiltrating, deception, and fooling your senses? <laughs> Aliens who could shapeshift, we'd be talking about scrolls Ooh. and secret invasion.
1: Josh, I'm, I'm a little bit behind, all right, on the advice of a very wise doctor friend I know.
0: That's a nice way to say bullying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, I, I went and watched the first episode. It is thrilling and creepy and weird. And you must absolutely love this because I think you've told me this is one of your favorite comic book arcs come to the well the small screen but you know the 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 screen so you kind of have a feel for this already but
0: so secret invasion is the return of nick fury trying to figure out who he can trust as famous marvel characters that we've seen in the mcu have been secretly replaced with shape-shifting aliens that's the biggest thing that is known about scrolls in the comics so if we dive into the netter of Marvel anatomy, to the entry on Skrulls, okay. thoughtfully compiled by the anatomists of Wakanda, we learn a couple different things about them. So let's get into the medical build of Skrulls. They have segmented skulls that allow them to have these tectonic shifts in configuration.
1: Oh, so they can change their head shape. They can actually rearrange the overlap of their bones so that, you know, if you're copying someone with a round head, big head, small head, square head, whatever, you can do it. Oh, my gosh. That's creepy.
0: Well, I like – one of my favorite things about this little tidbit is that I think when most of us picture shape-shifting – yeah. You're thinking more about just the skin over your bones.
1: Yeah, uh, okay. That that makes a ton of sense and of, of course, you know, a lot of what shapes us is the skeletal structure underneath. So, yeah, you'd have to be able to rearrange rigid bodies like your skull without crushing the brain underneath, you know, causing a tear or a bleed uh, in the meninges or something like that. So this makes a ton of sense that you just, you know, like we are when we're babies, you know, you have sutures and the fontanelle so that the, you could take a baby's head and kind of move the skull plates or I don't do this all the time. But you know you can you can shapeshift your baby. You shouldn't, you sh- but you can. <laughs> and in fact, that's what happens during birth. Uh, you know the the head molds to the vaginal canal and the birth canal, and then as the baby starts to grow, it helps it shape out. Do as much tummy time as you can, so the baby doesn't have a flat head on one side because of pressure.
0: So, scrolls can alter their entire molecular structure, not just the skin over their bones, but their bones then have a pebbled appearance. However, this pebbled appearance seems largely limited to the head, as scrolls can't go more than 50% taller or about 25% smaller than their baseline height because of the laws of conservation of mass.
1: Oh, sure, sure. So, they'd get either, if they shrunk, they'd be too dense and then they could. Actually, break their own bones because of the the weight and mass on there, and if they stretch too tall, of course, you know, I think almost like Ehlers Danlos, where you know you stretch too too much.
0: So, in the very first episode of Secret Invasion, one of the immediate things that they mentioned as kind of a throwaway line that becomes more important is scrolls are immune to radiation. Ooh. And- as such, the camp, the base camp that the rebel scrolls have set up is in Russia, which has some of the most radioactive sites in the world.
1: From what I understand, I guess there are scrolls that want to get along with humans and they're trying to, you know, they shapeshift in order to kind of get along and not freak everybody out. They'll, ah, you know, scroll, But I guess there are others that are, they're sick and tired of waiting for Nick who promised them, I guess, to, to give them a new home. And they're saying, nope, Earth is going to be our home now. We just have to eradicate the humans.
0: And they're and- going to do it by creating a nuclear holocaust, because again, immune yeah. to radiation. So a creature having that ability sounds impossible, right? Not That's- so. Enter Radio radiodurans, <laughs> which loosely translates to terrible radiation surviving godberry, a.k.a. Yeah. Conan the Bacterium.
1: <laughs> I have a small feeling that you gave it that last name and that nobody else calls it that, but I love it.
0: Actually, I did what? not. And what? if you home listeners Google Conan the Bacterium, this is what will come up.
1: Whoa. Hey, there was a biologist out there who named something cool?
0: Well, it's the nickname of Dinococcus radiodurans. Radio durans. So let okay. me take you in true comic book fashion, to Corvallis, Oregon, 1956. Okay. Mild-mannered scientist Arthur Anderson, working at the Oregon Agricultural Experimental Station, is performing experiments with gamma radiation to determine whether canned food can be sterilized by exposing a tin of meat to a dose thought to kill all forms of life. Yeah. To the astonishment of agricultural academic Arthur Anderson, Despite bombardment with gamma rays, the meat nonetheless spoiled and a tiny, invulnerable bacterium was discovered. Named Deinococcus radiodurans, translating to terrible, radiation-resistant godberry, D-radiodurans has a unique quality that, and this is the cool part, okay. allows it to repair not just single, but double-stranded DNA.
1: So that's the coolest part right here. Uh, So detail on this, Josh, that I thought was a little bit scary and creepy, especially for 1956. So it was, you know, gamma radiated canned meat, essentially. So he pointed a beam of radiation at a can. He was using 4,000 grays. All right. He was not kind of mucking around here. This dose is 250 times more lethal than what is used to kill off E. coli, right? One of our scariest bacteria.
0: For comic book context, the approximate dose of gamma radiation absorbed by Bruce Banner when he was transformed into the Hulk was 8,500 rads or 85 grays for 15 seconds. This is four thousand grays.
1: This is absolutely insane.
0: So, Conan the Bacterium. Yeah. Um, when when damage occurs, the cell focuses the damaged DNA into a ring like structure, where it then isolates the damaged segments and repairs them in a two step process. First, it reconnects the chromosome fragments using single-stranded annealing, kind of lining them up like a zipper or a Velcro.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Then multiple proteins will mend those double-stranded breaks through homologous recombination, which is kind of like turning, jiggling your combination lock to be like, does this fit? No. How about this one? How about this? Eh, good enough for government work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And this process does not introduce any more mutations than just a normal round of cell replication would. So in theory, Dinococcus should have little or even no mutation accumulation from this rearranging of its DNA.
1: So just to let everybody, you know, kind of digest this, the uh, D-radiodurans does not like resist the radiation, Right. It takes a gamma beam straight to the face, boom and then you know like uh, I think we've seen comic books like this before. like as you're watching, like it's it just rebuilds itself right in front of you after taking like a straight up beam of radiation. There. So it's-
0: these newly these newly repaired areas are then fused from their little repair shell with the damaged DNA section so it just bubbles in couples up and now your DNA is back to normal they can also repair many small fragments at the same time from an entire chromosome and this quality to quickly repair DNA breaks on the fly would make up the perfect ancestor or symbiote for a shape-shifting species that's exposed to radiation in space, that's immune to radiation on earth. This could be sort of the distant scroll ancestor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If, if the scrolls, you know, we, we evolved, you know, our, our long ago cousins are different types of proteobacteria and, you know, coming up and then finally multi-celled organisms. So this likewise would be the, you know, ancient ancestor of multicellular life, which would eventually evolve to scrolls, as long as, Josh, they were able to hold on to this gene repair mechanism. Because, you know, that can get lost along the way as, you know, organisms become more complex. But Josh, this is so neat because this is certainly not come to, you know, mammals and things like this. We don't have as good of double stranded break Repair as this little bugger does. It is absolutely magnificent. And if we had something like this, yeah, shape shifting, absolutely, that'd be awesome. But you know, all the stuff that we think about, that you know, we we talk about, if you get radiation induced DNA mutations, so cancer, right? We could avoid so many of these things uh, if we had a repair mechanism of like. Well,
0: also think if you're rearranging your own face. And body type, your physiology, your physical features are based on proteins that your DNA makes. So every time you shift to a new shape, you are effectively rearranging your DNA. And that's going to induce breaks. So you need something that can be that can repair them. Now Dinococcus can accomplish this in as short a time as 12 to 24 hours. this would line up and explain why the scrolls as you see in episode one probably find it easier to just shape into a single alternate person in a given situation rather than going for multiple changes because you can repair that damage in one day so if you're always kind of the same thing and you just shift back and forth between two shapes very easy to repair but if you're trying to become six or seven different people all in a 24-hour period That may overwhelm the system, would put them at risk for cancer at the least, and likely seizures or strokes from the body strain.
1: Oh, sure, sure. And, you know, we we talked about microscopically, you know, all of these things that are going on when you have repair and this kind of thing. Josh they do have to, each of these bacteria, they do have to produce the proteins which perform this error repair and the annealing of the double-stranded DNA breaks and everything. It doesn't happen by magic. There are actual mechanisms to do this. So they're going to be using energy like ATP. They need to get amino acids from somewhere in order to construct these proteins, which catalyze these reactions. So metabolically speaking, it it takes it must take a lot of energy in order to you know to affect these repairs without you know having the mutations and everything survive.
0: Oddly enough, is how you defeat these bacteria and/or the scrolls. You can starve huh? them out. Um, in oh. Avengers, and A plus X number fourteen, both Captain America and Cyclops have found a pretty good method to defeat the scrolls. Uh, it's a unique weakness in comics. Cyclops okay. has this scroll as a prisoner, warns him not to shapeshift, but the scroll says, you know, I've been in this cage for months and I haven't eaten enough calories to shift anyway. So pretty okay. high metabolic requirements that you would know. Um, okay. Now, but briefly back to to DinoCoccus. you don't have to worry about your own secret invasion as the bacteria, while easily cultured, just like the scrolls, do not appear to cause disease. They just want a place to live peacefully. Um, yeah. Interestingly, Dinococcus, due to its characteristics, can be used for the treatment of nuclear energy waste and has been genetically engineered to consume and digest solvents and heavy metals in radioactive environments.
1: Whoa. You're Okay, so... Dude, this bacteria is so rock and roll. It's not just radiation resistant, but it decided, "Okay, maybe I can't find the organic matter that I need to consume in order to keep living in a radiation blasted area, so I have to eat friggin' like mercury <laughs> or or lithium or something like I have to basically chew on rocks in order to live."
0: And there, the Craig Ventner Institute is trying to take the DNA repair mechanisms to assemble synthetic DNA fragments into chromosomes to make an organism called mycoplasma laboratorium to use it as information storage that might survive a nuclear catastrophe, a biologic computer. They've already been successful to a degree in 2003. They translated the song It's a Small World into a series of DNA segments, 150 base pairs long, (laughs) Okay, inserted them into bacteria, and were able to retrieve them without any errors 100 bacterial generations later.
1: Oh, that is so... (laughs) So they used the bacteria's information storage systems and basically saw if the information degraded. So as a for instance, you know, Josh, when you and I were young there was audio tape on a cassette. <laughs> if you put these things because it was magnetic tape, if you put them too close to a heavy magnet or something like that, or you know, if you left them out for too long, exposed to the sun or something, the tape would degrade, uh, or if you just listened to it too many times, and then you'd get skips and you'd lose fidelity and this kind of a thing. The same kind of idea you can think of as DNA as information So the, the generations, you know, say they replicate, you know, per, I don't know, 24 hours for a single generation. So that's a pretty good, solid amount of time for that information to last in, you know, one cell.
0: So that, that would give scrolls kind of a, a racial memory that they could carry in their DNA. And that's important because one of the things that the show does not touch on that's a pretty key part of the comics and one that i think they've changed a little bit is that scrolls are sterile which makes sense given all these radiation things we've talked about um oh sure their their species advances through extensive bionic engineering which makes sense given that Radiation would affect developing offspring, not to mention the difficulty with avoiding chromosome alterations and miscarriage in species that we've already talked about with shape-shifting. If you're constantly recombining your DNA, you have to get mutations to make a baby. That's how you have a little from dad, a little from mom.
1: Yep, and a little that's new from rearranging And a little that's new.
0: Yeah. But if mm-hmm. if you are constantly, if your DNA repairs itself down to the base pairs due to this then you really can't have children although we yeah. see in the mcu there are baby kids
1: or yeah yeah they were like riding tricycles and playing ball and stuff uh yeah yeah so they were <laughs> going around yeah now you could i guess have kids the usual way but without any recombination events you'd basically just get clones, um, which would be awfully awfully boring, and you wouldn't be able to get the diversity of a people in a species that it would take in order to have you know innovation ideas, all that kind of a stuff you'd kind of be locked in
0: but as we said, the scrolls have extensive bionic engineering abilities, so they may be test tubing their offspring, and sure. we just don't see it on screen. What we do see is their ability to bioengineer in the head of the rebels, Gravik, who is trying to assemble or take on powers from Earth superheroes like Groot or, uh, or their villains like Cull Obsidian and the Frostbeast to make a super scroll. Um, so he's taking his existing DNA and changing himself so he has superpowers. But this gets into some interesting ideas with genetics because... As we know from the comics scrolls who have stolen abilities from mutants in the comic secret invasion run then become susceptible to the mutant attacking legacy virus especially strains one and two for a real world analog maybe this would be like a hepatitis equivalent but okay. this is important for other genetically transmitted conditions what if groot has huntington's disease or professor x has Alzheimer's. If a scroll steals their gene that's linked to those abilities, yeah, they get superpowers, but they would also inherit the condition.
1: You know, oh I want to be Superman. Well, you're gonna die by kryptonite. Yeah. Well what diseases
0: would you be willing to accept for superpowers? Would you take flying or teleportation if you knew you would have a shortened lifespan and a movement disorder? What if you were gonna lose your memory but you could shoot lasers from your eyes? What's the trade off?
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. So as long as they were aware of the ups and downs, I suppose this would be a, a interesting experiment to run on, you know, willing people. Uh, it's a scary proposition, though.
0: Santos, you haven't mentioned CRISPR once, and the scrolls are basically performing it on the fly in real-world applications.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, CRISPR does this. Uh, CRISPR and Cas nine they create double-stranded breaks uh the ones that you know we've borrowed from our beautiful little uh you know streptococcal friends they yeah they perform these double-stranded breaks uh, and then we actually introduce repairs in order to affect the kind of changes that we want to in the laboratory uh, as an amazing tool likewise uh, some of the other tools that we have like talon are absolutely amazing it wouldn't be terribly surprising, Josh, if they had the DNA repair mechanisms like that set of proteins, right? And if they also had their own arsenal of CRISPR uh, in their cells, I don't know how on a, uh, how do you say it? Like on a volitional basis, you could signal you know the molecular you know the the these like scroll crass crisper you could say to actually activate and work on your cells and everything and then direct the transformation in 30 years Mm
0: -hmm. of secretly living on earth the scrolls have not only mapped this the human genome but clearly the superhero genome they know which parts even if it's linked to other conditions they seem to know what parts of the dna to target to take on superpowers this is huge for the mcu we know superhuman genetics oh (laughs)
1: that's yeah that's true that's pretty amazing
0: only logical conclusion (laughs) following like this whole evil plot yes but also if you're able to to carry out these steps to go for the plot you know how to just create superpowers
1: Okay, I got gotcha. you. So, you know, superpowers for sure. Like, where to place the mutations that you would want to in order to have, you know, a cyclops-like power or Professor X's telepathy or something like that. But I find it cooler, even you know, because you know, the the person who's doing the replicating, the scroll who's doing the replicating, they have to direct all these mechanisms. To actually do things like change the color of their hair, which are several different genes, right? Uh, or change the color of skin and their eyes. And uh, I find—I I know it sounds kind of nerdy, but I find that kind of like self- gene manipulation at will so so cool. And then the the mutant parts of it to create superhumans, you know, that's just icing on the cake.
0: Now we do share one similarity with the radio immunity of the scrolls or at least part of us does okay and that's the langerhans cells which is a kind of immune cell mm-hmm. that lives in the epidermis our skin it's the very first line of defense they present antigens to lymphocytes they interact with them through very specific kinds of receptors and when exposed to radiation langerhans cells can repair their own dna and then activate regulatory T-cells that dampen the immune response.
1: Yeah. So these are, uh, they're, they're resident cells in our skin that are part of the very early immune system. So they have the ability to gobble things up like bacteria and viruses, break those things down inside of the cell body, and then rip off uh, basically <laughs> it's kind of gross, you know, rip apart the corpses of those pathogens and then, you know, like show it to the T cells in just the right way. You can't just show an antigen to a T cell. You have to engage a certain set of receptors to say, Hey, first of all, recognize me. I'm your friend. You're the longer hog cell. And then here, I-, I want to show you this so that the next time you see it, you beat the crap out of it. <laughs> so Yeah. No in order We're to do that it's got to it's got to rearrange a little bit in order to cup and present each of those antigens
0: now while scrolls can recover from shape shifting in moments and dinococcus can recover in hours to a day Langerhans cells are depleted for about several days following a single exposure to radiation as low as uv ultraviolet yeah, they somewhat. can be replenished and reconstituted from circulating cells, but the pathways that lead to the recovery are still unclear, haven't been discovered yet. So the scrolls are a little ahead of us on this one.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is one of the cool uh frontiers of uh immunogenetics and stuff. They they do turn over from time to time our longer hand cells. They they stick around as long as they can, um, because you want the immune milieu in your skin to be as regular as possible. But yeah, if you go out there and get a terrible sunburn and those existing Langerhans cells are not able to recover, especially if you really like get a, you know, a bad sunburn, Josh, and you just lose that layer of epidermis, then your bone marrow has to produce new monocytes. They have to be trained and then they have to be honed to go to the skin and differentiate and become Langerhans cells, which is a difficult process. And then you're that existing immunity that was there, the immune memory of those old Langerhans cells, have to either be retrained or sometimes it's lost.
0: Well, that's all the information I have on scrolls, although I'm watching the show very carefully to see what <laughs> other medical tidbits I can glean.
1: Absolutely. Oh, uh, extra nugget, Josh! This beautiful paper that you embedded for our listeners and me—that uh, Dr. Michael M. Cox and John R. Batista. Uh, they have a beautiful review on Deinococcus radiodurans, and they put at a table of other ionizing radiation-resistant bacteria. Yeah.
0: While the scrolls are starting to steal superpowers, we've also had in Phase 5 the introduction of mutants to the MCU.
1: <gasps> Yay! <laughs> and that
0: means that at some point, the X-Men will make an appearance. So I want to talk about the most powerful medical X-Man, the one who has the greatest ability for healing, the one who would make the best doctor. And I'm talking about, of course,
1: Wolverine. Not even close. Oh, you healer, right? A uh, Deadpool.
0: Nope, we've talked about that too. While Wolverine is the first mutant most people think about with his healing blood for medical applications, or maybe Beast, at least the moral version of him, for the team's doctor, the most powerful member I'd want in my ex-hospital is Aurora Monroe, a.k.a. Storm.
1: Josh, she makes like hurricanes and lightning and stuff. I guess if you wanted to restart a heart, but I mean- come on you she's she's an outdoor mutant not an indoor hospital mutant did you just call her an outdoor mutant yeah, <laughs> yeah. like there's indoor mutants like uh, like beast you yeah, know like the indoor indoor outdoor and then, uh, Aurora is like she's a weather mutant
3: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.
1: She's outdoor. All right. I think <laughs> we need to clarify
0: a few points about Aurora's
1: abilities. Okay, okay, go ahead, go ahead.
0: Yes, she can modify the temperature of the environment, control all forms of precipitation, humidity, and moisture at a molecular level. She can generate lightning and electromagnetic atmospheric phenomena, and she's essentially a one-woman ventilator system in a post-COVID world.
1: Uh. (laughs) Wait, is she so focused? Because I think of her as making giant, humongous weather systems. Are you saying she could... You know, like focus down and just make like, you know, a small amount of positive pressure to ventilate like a parallel. Let's
0: look at what her abilities can do and how Mm -hmm. we could make use of them in the medical world. And then we'll, we'll get into some of the nitty gritty details Yeah. whenever her eyes, her blue eyes change into that iconic all white that you remember from the X-Men cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. She's activating her abilities and she perceives the world as energy instead of solid matter. So she can see thermal, kinetic, electromagnetic energy, electromagnetic as in MRI. If she's viewed enough humans while, you know, being a weather witch to recognize normal versus abnormal, she's both an MRI machine and a radiologist all in one.
1: Oh my, so so she can, she can emit the em radiation you know the, the so you're basically creating a magnetic field around a person manipulate it because it needs to be aimed in a certain way and then she can read the changes in atomic spin like she'd be able to see she'd be able to see the output like actually read the mri as well is that what you're saying
0: yeah and, and of course, her ability to control wind would make her an overpowered respirator, unless she can <laughs> split her attention among multiple people, okay. and it would have to be a lot of people to replace machines. But <laughs> sure. we, know, we know that she can manipulate down to the level of an individual, because she can remove oxygen, as in the uh, comic panel I've provided you below,
1: Okay, where... Yeah.
0: She literally just takes the air away from a soldier who's attacking her. And she has a very great splash page looking intimidating and regal and says, You breathe when I allow it. The air in your lungs obeys my every whim. You would be wise to do the same. It is direct demonstration that Storm can narrow her levels down to manipulate air in the lungs of a single human. Uh, well enough to remove oxygen and in theory to replace it because she's not going to take away this guy's ability to breathe without getting that information she wants, knowing she can restore it. But let's talk about some of her other ones. We're going to jump over for a moment to real world researchers at the Chalmers University of Technology and the University of Freiburg who have recently developed a method for speeding up the wound healing process through electric stimulation. And their results suggest that wound healing could be sped up threefold by just applying a small electric field to the site of injury.
1: Ooh, okay. So I I think this type of research has been going on for some, you know, a long period of time, but this absolutely fascinates me because, you know, post-surgical wound healing, post-traumatic wound healing, these are really important fields of study right now. So
0: So previous experiments, as you noted, showed that simply placing an electric field in a Petri dish that has skin cells makes the cells move directionally instead of randomly. Expanding on this principle, the researchers used a tiny engineered chip to compare wound healing in artificial skin composed of keratinocytes, which are the most common skin cell type, and researcher Asplund and her colleagues are investigating how different kinds of skin cells interact during stimulation to simulate more realistic wounds. So the idea is to develop a system that scans wounds and then adapts the electric field, both the voltage and the frequency, to adapt to the wound. Uh, so with a mere touch, Storm can lay on hands and promote healing wounds in her fellow X-Men, many of who have additional healing factors. So you take a blast from a sentinel or a laser or energy beam from Mr. Sinister or someone like that, Yeah. And she walks over and she can literally give you a little jolt of energy that gets you up on your feet and starts your own healing process, separate from any mutant power sets.
1: Oh, that is so cool. Okay, okay. So the... The, the paper that you were discussing, uh, you know, absolutely beautiful in terms of, you know, what was done in a Petri dish. So we are moving a little bit ahead because we're taking something from the lab into the real world like this. Uh, but I, I should say, at least from the information that we have now, The rate of healing and also Josh, the method of healing was really optimized so that you minimized disorganization of tissue, which could lead to something like a scar, right? But it's it doesn't seem ready for prime time to where you could do it, you know, like field surgery, boom, right there, because it encourages the natural healing process, not you know, the, uh, it doesn't accelerate anything per se. Um, so yeah, you would need the mutant healing factor and then, you know, storm could go in and like speed it up. If you wanted to do this, like blam, get hit by a thing healed by storm back on your feet, punching, kicking kapow. Well,
0: Even, even being able to fight the following day or the following several days, because your healing has been sped up. But mm-hmm. again, you wanted to know, how well can Storm regulate at those microscopic levels? You know, sure, sure. You thought she yeah. was just doing tornadoes and massive acts.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, That's what we always see in the cartoons and whatnot.
0: So let's look at her, her next ability. Her second def- Her defense to telepathy is the increased electrical activity in her brain that functions as static. This is a passive ability that wasn't mentioned until a run in Extreme X-Men when Jean Grey tried to have a taste of Storm's ice cream during a telepathic meeting.
1: You know, (laughs) Zoom
0: for mutants.
1: (laughs) Now,
0: Now, Jean stated she couldn't taste the ice cream because there was too much static in Storm's brain due to the electrical forces she controls, and it prevented Jean from doing any deeper probes. If Storm oh. can regulate her own brain electrical activity well enough to block a telepathic probe, she could also theoretically manipulate or induce electrical activity in the brain and others, ending seizures or providing electroshock therapy for depression.
1: Oh, that is so, so neat. So... Okay, so Jean in this case, she wasn't like trying to taste her ice cream like you know, like actually take a scoop of it. She was trying to get the taste via Storm's brain. Am I right here? Correct. Like the this, oh god, it's so telepathic tasting kind of a thing. And if we say that Jean's ability is electromagnetic somehow, in order to get the brain waves from somebody else and then receive it into her own brain so she could perceive them like that. So Storm blocked that. She essentially created like an electrical Faraday cage. <laughs> That's so neat. And so like not right now. Sorry. There it will and, and in this case it was kind of innate, right? Because it was just the electromagnetic uh, you know, static that she's carrying around at rest.
0: This also heavily implies that all psychic activity is due to increased electricity, meaning a lot of our telepaths could just be in hyperthyroid storm.
1: Um, Ah! Sorry. Right? You like
0: that? (laughs) Now, now, all right, so she can defend, and we theorized that she could end seizures or provide electroshock, but I'm going to go ahead and give you some proof. In a fairly recent issue of Wolverines, multiple, (laughs) Storm finally displayed this ability on one of the X-Men's biggest villains, Mr. Sinister. She scrambled the electrical synapses of his brain and caused a seizure in him. She also notes that most people would die from this attack, and Sinister only survived due to his cell regeneration. Now, Mr. Sinister, for those of you who don't know, is a fantastic geneticist who has been constantly modifying himself over the years. So we're coming heavily into genetics over and over again. Not surprising when we're talking about X-Men and the mutants. But we actually saw storm induce a seizure in somebody. Again, very, very fine electrical control. Not a massive atmospheric condition, just a brainstorm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) that's so cool another pun of course you can also
0: (laughs) look to the movie logan for the mass seizures caused by professor x's dementia so again psychic abilities seem to be highly related to just electrical activity as storm can control electrical activity she's not necessarily a telepath herself but she can defend or disrupt your ability to think
1: from what you're teaching all of us right now Josh I I absolutely love this if you were to just run the types of electrical potential so like the voltages and and current that we think about like lightning that we're used to seeing storm uh you know do in you know the most famous comic book panels and the cartoons and all that kind of a thing you would basically just end up cooking and frying the brain because you'd produce so much heat as a byproduct that you just you, you know charge Small, you know, tiny controlled voltages and and currents in order to just stimulate what you want and where you want. I, I'm guessing if she got fine enough control, she could also do the things like you know when we're doing um when we're doing uh, neurosurgery, Josh, and sometimes it's actually done during awake. You know, you're awake, and you you actually stimulate different parts of the brain to see if you turn on or you turn off uh, abilities like language and sensation and all this kind of a thing, so that you can tell the neurosurgeon, okay, don't cut this 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 area. You know, uh, helps with speech, so you don't want to excise that too much. You you could even do that.
0: So you want some numbers, let's talk numbers.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: An average lightning bolt is on the order of about 300 million volts.
1: 300 million? Sorry, I was trying to do Doc Brown. A a
0: defibrillator (laughs) delivers a shock of 1,000 volts, and only for very specific arrhythmias.
1: Yeah, okay. A
0: household current is about 120 volts. So Storm is practicing at neurosurgical levels of control. An accidental lightning strike alone would not restart your heart. If you have a heart attack in a rainstorm,
1: this would not work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because defibrillator defibrillator pads require very specific placement to allow the right to lower left pathway, the current has to travel along the nodal pathways of the heart to jumpstart it and right. if you were in cardiac arrest the lightning will just add burns it doesn't shock you back into uh back into living yeah so she has to have a very high level of control And if you're receiving, again, a concussive blast that causes cardiac arrest, just having Aurora on the team would be invaluable as she's a one-woman triage and battle medic. She can restart your heart. She can give you breathing. She can unscramble your brain. This is all entirely separate from her ability to fling lightning at giant robots. This
1: is, I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, this is, you know, kind of god-level, you know... Mutation. Uh, call it Omega Mutant. Oh, got it, got it. Okay, so she so is on that power level. Okay, got it.
0: In the real world, the only people who could relate to the kind of punch Aurora would pack would be those who have a very special kind of pacemaker called an ICD. Okay. An intracardiac device. An electrical storm is a medical emergency that occurs when an implantable cardioverter defibrillator ICD,
1: mm-hmm. ICD, delivers
0: multiple shocks in a short period of time. So if you have this implantable defibrillator in you and your heart starts getting into a rhythm that can't sustain life, the device which sits inside your body next to your heart will start giving you little electric shocks to make it beat the right way again, to jumpstart it. And these shocks feel like you're being kicked in the chest by a donkey and if it's multiple shocks in a short period of time well a diagnosis of an electrical storm can be made when you have three or more sustained episodes of multi-shocks so people out there who have these devices when they have gone off appropriately may actually know what it feels like to fight with an (laughs) x-man
1: yeah absolutely and you know again josh exactly what you were saying those leads have to be placed just in the right spot by the the surgeon or, or whoever's implanting the device. And it has to send the current in the right direction. So that all of that is very, very important. But yeah, the uh, the amounts of current and the potential, the voltage that's going across there is it's pretty massive. Like you you, do not mess around with this.
0: So just by virtue of her abilities, which I think I've, I've given you some pretty specific descriptions of her level of control. Storm can be a critical care pulmonologist with respirators. She can be mm-hmm. a interventional cardiologist with defibrillate or an electrophysiologist. Sure. With defibrillation. She okay. can be a neurosurgeon. She can be a psychiatrist with electro. like there's she literally can practice all the fields of medicine or almost all just from her ability to manipulate atmospheric energy.
1: Whoa. Okay. I didn't realize she had this kind of level of fine control. I think it's not just what we could do with what we understand and know about using electrical activity in order to work on the brain and the heart, but we could innovate new ways to heal people and diagnose things.
0: This is my request to Marvel. I know it's very exciting to see super powered beings punch and kick and fight. Show me some of the medical applications. Show me somebody who doesn't want to put on spandex and go out and be a vigilante. I want to know more about the ones who are having everyday jobs and integrating their mutant abilities into them. And they oh, have done some cool. stories, but I want to see more of them. And now I'm going to pose to you a question for our third and final one about another X-Man. Are you okay. familiar with Kitty pride or shadow cat?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, very famously in, I think, I don't know if it was X two or X three, one of the, not so great uh, X-Men films in recent memory. Uh, Kitty pride was highlighted as one of the, the star mutants and she was fighting the, the juggernaut and you know, they talked about her as she could, I guess she could pass through objects. So the juggernaut that just builds up energy, right? The more he runs and is a blast through things and then you can't stop him anymore. So She somehow touched him and sank him into the floor.
0: (laughs) Kitty pride can phase, meaning she can make herself uh, to all appearances like a ghost where things pass through her. She passes through things. And if she's touching something, she can share that ability with what she's touching.
1: Okay. So she can translate that ability to, you know, because otherwise she'd phase out of her clothes, which would be embarrassing
0: so if and in the most recent run of comics kitty pride is pregnant sure so i ask you when it comes time to deliver can she just phase the baby out of herself
1: oh well i i don't know if she's able to phase parts of herself if that's allowed because for for a while you know if, okay. I,
0: if I understand her powers correctly, phasing can be thought of as stretching her surface into a higher dimensional space. Uh, we can tell this because you can reach through her phased bits, but okay. her phased bits don't open holes in her. So if she phases her hand, you can't reach through where her hand should connect to her arm and inside the tube of her arm. Otherwise, blood would pour out of her every time she partially phases because she's reached through walls to grab things. She's, you know, sunk, as you noted, juggernaut halfway into the floor. So she can partially phase bits and pieces of her and blood doesn't pour out when she does it. So she's more stretching into and around another dimension than truly making herself intangible.
1: Oh, okay, okay. So there's there's some uh, quantum physics involved here.
0: Yeah, she's she's a little bit like, I don't know, like a, a Klein bottle. Uh, it, it's a sure, physics sure. term. Okay. Look it up. Yeah, <laughs> she, she operates. She operates in like a three and a half dimension way. She can sidestep around three D objects via the fourth dimension, but she can't really do much more than that. But passing through her body isn't the same thing as phasing partially into her body, grabbing the entire part of her organic body she wants removed right. without missing anything or bringing anything extra back and phasing it out. Like she can't phase her arm into her stomach and pull out a piece of steak. She just ate.
1: Um, Oh, (laughs) gross, but I get what you're saying. Well, she's shown that she can phase individual
0: body parts while keeping others solid. So she does have some fine motor control, but to reach, but that level of nuance required for childbirth phasing to physically reach into her body. And pull the child out. Let's let's keep talking about her level of control before we come to a final decision. She did manage to perform brain surgery on the Hulk.
1: Whoa, <laughs> He's here. See, was this one of the things? Because we've talked about this before in uh, actually our other comic book medicine. Is this one of the things where he had internal injuries? Um, but of course, there's nothing that can like cut through his skin or crack his skull.
0: So in Hulk volume 3 issue okay. 9,
1: uh-huh. Doc
0: Green, which is a version of the Hulk that is it's it's like Smart Hulk. Um oh, Doc Green knocks with a little bit too much force, ends up breaking through the door and introduces himself and tells Kitty Pride he needs her help. So she takes him down to the med lab and he explains that he has the Extremis virus in his head. Extremis as we've seen also show up in Secret Invasion. But Extremis has caused a tumor to begin growing in his brain because it's nanotech, and he sought out Shadowcat so she can use her phasing powers to remove it. She wants, He wants oh. her to reach into his head oh, and God. physically pull out a tumor.
1: Ooh. Oh, so he's putting quite a bit of faith... <laughs> into, well not just the the phasing part but for her ability to find what's tumor and what is you know well okay. healthy brain he gives, her,
0: <laughs> he gives her a special fluid that will magnetize her hands okay. so she can extract the tumor because remember extremis is basically nanotechnology
1: oh okay gotcha okay so anything that's not you know ferromagnetic should stay in place
0: and she ha- and he has to go to somebody who can phase, because as we've learned from talking about Luke Cage and the Hulk, some of these people just have skin that heals too fast or is unbreakable, so traditional surgical methods won't work.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. That's... that's okay, so I want storms in my hospital, and I want a few kitty prides.
0: So she can do surgery on others to a limited extent, So what about herself? So again, let's get back to phasing the baby out of her. Well, it's been many, many years since my OB-GYN rotation, but to the best of my memory, the placenta would need to be detached to avoid having the cord partially phased through her abdomen for however long it takes for that to happen. Because remember, she'd be in advanced stages of labor when trying to do this. Not really a moment for fine control of your powers, fiddling with a baby and yourself.
1: Yeah. For those folks who have not had a baby, all right. And not gone through labor pains at all. I think the best illustration, the mental picture that uh, someone talked about, you know, I said, Oh, how do you simulate what that pain would be? Uh, They actually said, Oh, picture taking one of those like cocktail umbrellas, right. And put it in your urethra. And then open it. <laughs> this <laughs> so, this is the equivalent. So this it's a lot of pain, and you know.
0: So contractions begin the birthing process. That's not even getting into uh, things that Kitty Pride may want from a traditional birthing plan. Um, there may be complications with breathing if the child doesn't pass through the vaginal canal, because yes. the canal compresses the body and helps clear the airways of fluid and mucus.
1: Yeah, yeah. So those labor pains that happen, and then the stages of labor, and then as baby goes from, you know, inside of the uterus to the cervix and through the vaginal canal, through the birth canal, those processes are necessary in order to stimulate the baby to cry and everything else like that, but also to get rid of fluids from the mouth, from the from the nose, and you know, also, you know, get some of the fluids moving and in, in the lungs because you're going from a completely liquid environment to having to breathe oxygen in a like, you know, in minutes, like really, really quickly. So those we've actually found, Josh, that Clinically, if we have a higher rate of C-section, that rates of respiratory distress in newborns, which are not always super serious, but it is important. Those rates of respiratory distress in newborns where they're just trying to clear the secretions and fluids from their lungs goes up in those populations where C-section becomes more the norm rather than vaginal birth. Newborns,
0: typically are inoculated with the maternal microbiome like E. coli, through exposure to fecal matter during birth and subsequent handling. And in fact, E. coli becomes more abundant in the mother's microbiome during pregnancy. This changes the structure and function of epithelial cells in a way that's crucial for developing your own unique microbiome. So early human infant colonization Has been declining as C-section rates have increased and hospital sterile techniques have improved. And you could be setting up some gut problems or other issues down the way if you're not getting that appropriate microbiome through even a traditional C-section. Forget about a mutant (laughs) C-section.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's lots of amazing things that happen, you know, if you know a child is able to go, you know, through that the the way that we've evolved to, to give birth. Now, Josh, don't get me wrong. There are lots and lots of times where to save the baby's life, to take care of mom, birthing a different way is important. You know, cesarean section, uh, surgical options and this kind of thing. So absolutely, we need those tools at our disposal. But yes, if everything is all good and healthy and moving forward, uh, vaginal birth—you uh, know, the the going through the birth canal has all of these really good advantages. That doesn't necessarily true with you know just a, an elective C-section, for instance.
0: So let's say, remember, she can't see inside herself to locate the okay. kid. She might phase part of the child out and leave the rest solid. Not a good
1: oh, look. Oh, 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 God. Um,
0: yeah. Okay, you know, only get <laughs> minute- it. If she only gets it ninety percent right, you leave a chunk of the baby inside and phase out a portion of her kidney. I don't know.
1: Oh, oh um, gosh. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. But
0: let's say, but let's say she does all of this perfectly, because yes. we do have a couple records of real life humans operating on themselves, uh, like a yes. surgeon in Antarctica who, un- without anesthesia, because he was the only doctor around, cut out his own appendix.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, of course, well, why didn't you use anesthesia? Well, then you're going to be asleep and you can't do your own surgery. <laughs>
0: People can operate on themselves. So let's say she could phase her abdomen, but not the baby or the placenta. And a doctor like Storm or Hank McCoy could catch the baby and cut the cord all right, she'd avoid some of the awful bits of childbirth or a C-section. Would her body realize it could stop being in labor if it didn't have any of those things? I don't know. That's a question for another day. Um, okay. She would also have to phase out to cut the cord away, and the umbilical cord would still be attached to her outside stomach. That's the equivalent of an internal organ being phased to your outside body.
4: Also not
0: something (laughs) medically that's... There's a couple medical conditions where people have their internal organs on the outside. Uh, They can be as minor as a, and minor is a relative term here, as a rectal or uterine prolapse, where Mm -hmm. the end just sort of falls out. It could even be your skin is so thin that your heart can be seen through it, a pectus excavatum, pigeon chest.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have a a big spectrum of these and, you know, uh, in, in the abdominal cavity and, you know, when the, the, the fetus and the babies being, you know, born uh, or or sorry, I I shouldn't say being born the, the embryology part of it, you, you can actually have it where the gut you know, the, the intestines don't properly, uh, you know, stay inside the abdominal wall doesn't come together. So you can have these things like an emphyseal or gastroschesis. It can be really scary and, you know, physiologically hard to take care of and then long-term damage over time as well. So, yeah.
0: So at the end of the day, I, I just, I don't think it would be possible because the baby would also phase with her, which means you wouldn't even be able to cut the cord. And in the comics, she's never been able to have an operation while being phased, and presumably while attached to her and sharing her blood, the same thing would happen with her unborn child.
1: This is a little bit like how we were talking about Storm, how much gross or fine control she has over, you know, how she can phase in and out how much she can phase in and out. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I think as scary as it is to think, you know, Oh, could she do this? and This kind of thing. The first things that we talked about where she could phase into a body and remove a tumor, Josh, that would be so cool. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Um, I do want to put a tidbit out there for all of y'all folks who are curious uh, surgeons performing self-surgery. Uh, Dr. Josh has left a beautiful uh, review paper in the show notes uh, by Dr. Noah uh, uh, sorry Nwag, et al at uh, all from CUNY School of Medicine in New York. Um, because of that thing where you said Josh, where the person had to take out their own appendix in Antarctica nowadays, if you're a physician and you're going to Antarctica, uh, you must perform an appendectomy. You have to get your appendix out before you're allowed to go because you can't be the one who gets appendicitis down in Antarctica. So.
0: And I think there's, I cannot confirm, but I have heard rumors that the, the Russian space program does also make, uh, their astronauts or their astronauts. cosmonauts their cosmonauts take out their appendix and gallbladder pretty much any extraneous organs so they will not be required to have surgery in space
1: yes yeah or
0: surgery <laughs> that would preclude them from being able to complete a space mission uh but that yeah. is that is speculation and i am dealing in the world of comic books not reality
1: <laughs> sure yeah okay
0: that's it for this year's comic book medicine. That's we're, we're <gasps> getting deeper into these. Dives. <laughs> those of you in the home audience, send me your favorite comic. Go to travelmedicinepodcast.com. Sign up for our mailing list. I will reach out. I want to know what books, what comics, what TV shows and movies are you reading? And I want to dig into them and find those medical topics for future comic book medicine episodes. That's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. Normally, this is our season finale, but guys, we love you so much. We're going to push on for another three to four episodes to keep giving you that travel medicine goodness.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in truth... This part of this is for y'all and part of this is for us because we keep finding amazing stories and topics that, you know, Dr. Josh and I just want to talk about. So we go ahead and throw a microphone in front of our faces and share it with y'all.
0: We're coming up on almost a decade now <laughs> of doing this and we've, we've covered a lot of ground on all sorts of pop culture and regular culture topics. So, If you would like to learn more about it, again, let me direct you to travelmedicinepodcast.com. Sign up for the mailing list, and we can have a fun dialogue about anything you may be wondering about medicine.
1: Yeah. And by the way, we also don't mind if you guys have extra tidbits to throw in, uh, any corrections or things uh, on the comic book side or on the medicine side. We want to learn from you guys, too.
0: As always, the show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, keep a song in your heart, soap on your hands, a shot in your arm, a comic in your... Spin a globe, pick a place to go, cosplay a little, and once you've done all of those things, happy travels.